Good morning. So what do you guys think of the, the tables? The people at the tables, what do you think of them? You like it? All right. I, I did it because my wife, uh, she had in her Facebook, not Facebook. Okay, I'm going to start an organization called Pastors Against Saturday Night Christian Concerts. Because last night, this concert I went to, third day in Ontario, got over at 11.30 at night. And so, I'm not all here, just so you know. But anyway, Facebook, not Facebook, Amazon. Amazon shopping cart was a little stool. I said, honey, what is the stool for? And she goes, well, I bring my computer to church, and I'm trying to type on my lap, but my knees are too low. So I have to get a stool to stand on. So to save me 30 bucks, I think, for a stool, I put tables out. So now my wife can sit at a table. She's downstairs with the kids this week, but next week she can use her table. All right. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're going to do a, a look at the Bible today. This, this morning we look at, uh, for the second time, at verses 14 through 17. These verses proclaim to us, that those who've been saved uh, by God's grace through putting their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are children of God. Usually when we think of the word, when we use the word children, we're thinking of, of, of young people, right? Maybe not even teenagers, maybe even younger, but at least kids who are still living with their parents. But really... We're all someone's children because we all have had, have or have had parents, right? And as children, we have certain privileges depending on who our parents are, right? For example, if your parents happen to be uh, the king and or queen of England, and you're the firstborn son or daughter now, uh, then among other privileges, you're in line to be the king or queen of England. That's privilege. Or, or, or if like my son Michael, he always dreamed you're adopted by B- Bill and Melissa Gates, uh, then you have all the privileges that money, $93 billion, last time I checked, can buy. But even if, even if your parents aren't royal, uh, even if your parents aren't rich, you still have privileges as their children. One of the privileges I enjoy as the son of Frank and Judy Wool's besides being the heir to their vast middle-class fortune, is that anytime something of mine breaks, I can call my dad and he'll help me fix it. He'll either tell me how to fix it, he'll, he'll, he'll tell me where to go to get it fixed, or if he has time, if he's not too busy, he'll come over and help me fix it himself. We all, for the most part, uh, we all, for the most part, uh, I know there are exceptions for people who come from uh, bad family situations, but most of us have had certain privileges based on who our parents are. And the same is true, but in a, in a much greater way for those who are children of God. As a child of God, you have uh, privileges that wealth or power or fame cannot bring. You have privileges in this life that are are more valuable than anything any earthly parent has to offer, and you have eternal privileges in the life to come. Now, today we're going to look at, at some of those privileges. And it's my prayer that as we see the awesome things that we receive as children of God, and as we come to understand both the wonderful things God gives us in this life and in the next, 
that will not only rejoice in our privileges, but we will, out of, out of love, seek to live for the glory of our Father, who by His Son, Jesus Christ, provides us with these privileges. So with that in mind, we now turn to Romans 8, uh, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read just the, the verses for us, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. In God's Word... Those who believe, uh, those who trust in Jesus Christ are called sons, uh, children of God. Now, I believe God didn't just look down from heaven and say, uh, oh, what a break for me. Uh, I can use the the parent-child relationship to illustrate the relationship I have with those who trust in Christ. Instead, I believe God created the parent-child relationship to be an illustration of His relationship with those who trust in Christ. The parent-child relationship we experience in this life is, is only a shadow. It's only a reflection of the true relationship we can have as children of God. Now, last week we focused on the, the nature of being God's children. We built a foundation of what it means to be a child of God. We saw that, that knowing and understanding and believing the truth that you are a child of God is at the heart uh, of experiencing what Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 8. It's at the heart of experiencing life in the Spirit. And we saw it in three ways. First, God's children are led by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit are, uh, of God are sons of God. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God becomes your Father, your Heavenly Father, and He gives you His Spirit to provide leadership in your life. The Spirit of God leads you away from sin and into life in the Spirit. The Spirit, by the Word of God, transforms your heart so that, so that, so that it grows uh, to hate the things of the world, the flesh and the devil, to hate sin, and it grows in loving the things of the Spirit in righteousness and obedience to God and relationship with God. So first, God's children are led by the Spirit, led out of sin and into relationship with God. And second, God's children are, are adopted as sons. God adopts you into His family based not on who you are, Based on not on what you've done, God makes you His Son. Adoption is a work of the Father. And whether you are a, a male or a female, God adopts you as a son, which means you receive all the rights and privileges of, of sonship. We are heirs of God and, and fellow heirs of Christ, Romans eight seventeen says, and we'll look more at that today. So first and second, God's children are spirit-led sons of God. And finally, we saw that God's children are not slaves. In our relationship with God, we can live as slaves or we can live as sons. We can live based on the spirit of slavery or the spirit of adoption. That word adoption, if you remember, is, is to sunize, to make a son. Uh, the spirit, some translations say the spirit of sonship. We can live based on fear of punishment and condemnation from our master. We can live believing 
that by our good performance, we can earn God's favor. And by our bad performance, we can earn God's wrath. That's how a slave lives. Or we, we can live based on the love and the forgiveness of a loving Heavenly Father. Believing and, and knowing that our performance is not the basis for God's love for us. Knowing that God's favor and love and forgiveness and mercy is based on the fact that we are His children. That's how sons live. And Paul is saying, don't live as a slave, live as a son. With all the rights and privileges of sonship. And that's where we turn this morning, to the privileges of being God's children. From this passage, from these uh, few verses, Romans 8 14 through 17, I want us to see four privileges. We have other privileges. You may be thinking of some, some now, maybe even some more obvious ones, but we're going to look at the ones I think Paul is highlighting for us in this passage. First, God's children have the privilege of security. And this is more implied than, than stated, but, but, I, but I think it's there. We touched on this last week. The parent-child relationship, I believe, is the most secure of all human relationships. That's not to say we as humans can't even mess that up. But it's the most secure one we have. We don't divorce our children. And as children of God, we need not fear losing our relationship with Him. God made a point of calling us His children for a reason. Even when we sin, we know our Father loves us and wants what's best for us. This means we can have total security in coming to Him, in confessing our sins, and in receiving forgiveness. And we receive the power of His Spirit to overcome sin. We're led by the Spirit, as we talked about last week. We can be secure in the knowledge that God loves us, not for what we do, not for who we are, not for what we don't do. God loves us for who we are in Christ Jesus. God loves us because in Christ we've been adopted into His family. We're His children. As parents, we we know this. We love our children because they are our children, right? My adult children, Michael and Beth, have through the years done a lot of things to make me proud. And they've done a few things to make me disappointed. But my love for them has remained constant. I loved them the day they were born, before they had done anything, positive or negative. And I love them today. And and my love may have grown for them only because I've grown. Not because that's what happens. All because they are my children. And I've recently discovered, uh, in maybe a surprising way, that this same thing holds true for grandchildren. My grandson is just three months old. He's never done anything for me. He does smile a little. But for the most part, all he does is eat and sleep and cry and uh, mess his diapers, right? And the thing that has surprised me uh, most is just how much I love him. The powerful affection I feel for him, in, in, in some ways it's unexplainable. Unexplainable to me, I can't rationalize it, but it comes completely naturally it's natural now my grandson doesn't even really know who i am yet he doesn't love me at all as much as i love him but because of my great love for him our relationship is secure no matter what he does what he doesn't do i will always be his grandfather and he will always be my grandson and this is a picture 
This is a, a reflection. I mean, we think of it, grandchildren, children. It's a reflection of God's love for us. But it's amplified in, in God because He's perfect. That's how God loves His children. We say He loves us unconditionally. And, it, and it's His unconditional love for us that means we have complete security in Him. Paul makes this very clear. A lot of Romans 8 is about this concept of security. We'll see more of it later. I just want to give us a little preview. Romans verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, which means anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we're children of God, nothing, will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I would encourage you to live in that security. To allow the truth that God loves you no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do. Let that deepen your relationship with Him. Allow it uh, to even in the midst of your sin to drive you to God to, to cause you to seek forgiveness and acceptance from the one who loves you no matter what. Now, last week I talked a little bit about this. I gave that illustration of my daughter and how in the midst of her sin, I discovered how much God loved me because of how much I loved her. And I just want to uh, give a little warning here. If you're here this morning and you are truly a child of God, this is true for you. If you've given your life to Christ, and this is dangerous, isn't it? To say, no matter what you do, God will love you. But realize, if you're a child of God, you've been given the Spirit of God, and God is at work within you. So if you're not a child of God, you have no security. This doesn't apply to you. But if you're a child of God, live that privilege. Live that security. And when you do sin, allow God to convict you. Allow God to bring you back into relationship with Him because He loves you. So the first privilege of being God's child is that our relationship with God is secure. It's secure in God's love for you. And second, God's children have the privilege of intimacy. Verse 15, Paul writes, But you, uh, Christians, speaking to Christians, have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We've received this spirit of adoption as sons, and by the Spirit, because of the Spirit, because we are sons of God, we have the awesome privilege of crying, Abba, Father. And this, and this speaks of the intimacy we have in our relationship with God. But to understand that, we need to, we need to look at this in the original language. We need to understand what this Abba means. The New Testament was written in Greek, to a, a Greek-speaking audience. But the language spoken by the Jews in Jesus' time was Aramaic, which is a Semitic language, sort of related to Hebrew, but different. Aramaic is the same language family as Hebrew, but again, different. And, and Abba was the Aramaic term uh, for great intimacy. Today in our culture, in the English language, a, a child doesn't usually address his uh, father as Father, unless you're watching the TV show Father Knows Best. You remember that from back in the day? Wait, 
Father. That was always weird that they called him Father. Instead, uh, we uh, use a different word. A less formal, uh, more loving, uh, more familiar word such as dad or papa or daddy. And the same thing is true in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. And the word they used to express their intimate relationship with their father was this word in Aramaic, Abba. This is how Jewish children addressed their father. So the phrase Abba was not unique. What's quite unique, however, was using that phrase Abba when addressing God. Jews would have never thought to use such a term for uh, the up there, high and mighty God to the one that was looking down on them, judging them as to whether they kept the law or not. They would have never thought to call God Abba. However, Paul does use it here in Romans. It's used three times in the New Testament. Twice by Paul, once here in Romans, once in Galatians. But it was first used by Paul takes his cues, rightly so, from Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 14, verse 31, as Jesus faces the cross, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, in his greatest time of need, he cries out to his Abba, to his daddy. A German theologian, uh, you know, sometimes I need to practice how to pronounce German theologians' names before I... Uh, Joachim Jeremias. Put that up there. How do you say that first? Anybody know? Anybody German here? Say it again. Joachim. Okay, great. Thanks. Anyway, he said, Abba, as a way of addressing God, is an authentic, original utterance of Jesus. We're confronted with something new and astounding. Herein lies the great novelty of the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God becomes our Father. Jesus, the firstborn, only natural Son of God, the one who uh, shared this intimate relationship with God, a relationship like no other, cries out, Abba, Father. And because of what Christ has done for us, because we've received the spirit of adoption, we too can have an intimate relationship with God. A relationship in which we too can cry, Abba, Father. The word cry means a loud cry. It it expresses deep emotion. It implies an intimate knowledge of God. God is no longer foreign. He's no longer distant from us. He's not merely a God in whom we, we believe intellectually and theologically, theoretically, doctrinally. Yes, we believe in Him in these ways, but all of that is possible to those who are not children of God. Example, the Pharisees. Remember them? They knew a ton about God, but didn't know God. God was not their Father. They wouldn't even have thought of Him in this intimate way. We as children of God, however, can approach the all-powerful Creator of the universe. I mean, that's amazing right there. We can draw near to the one who sustains every atom in the universe. He upholds the universe. We can cry out to him with our deepest needs and longings. Abba, I'm weak. I need your strength. Abba, I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. Abba, I'm depressed. 
I need your joy. Abba, I'm in pain. I need your comfort. Abba, I am lonely. I need your presence. Do you realize that, that the God of the universe is your dad? What, what, any, what words did you use for your dad? I think I called my dad dad. When I was little, daddy. Get older, dad. Any papas or pops, pops, old man? No, that's a bad one. But you get the point. He's, he's your Abba. And He loves you with a perfect love. And therefore, He desires, uh, get this, God desires to have an intimate father-child relationship with you. And in that relationship, He'll empower you. He'll provide for you. We are not on an allowance from God. God is there for us to meet our needs. James says it this way, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. God desires intimacy with His children. The question is, what do you desire? Do you desire intimacy with God? Because as His children, that's what He's offering you. I think one of the greatest problems we have as Christians is not taking full advantage of the privileges we've been given in Christ Jesus. God is Jesus' Abba. And therefore, for those who are in Christ, He is our Abba as well. The problem is, we continue to come to Him only in this formal way. Only addressing Him in these formal terms, instead of embracing the reality of our intimate relationship with Him. And this is to not take away at all from His holiness. He is completely holy, but in through the power of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, we can approach that holiness, not because of who we are, because of who Christ is and what He did for us. We must draw near to God through His Word and through prayer. We must cry out to Him as our Abba. We must enter into an intimate relationship that He offers. And that's where you'll find satisfaction. And that's where you'll find joy in this life is entering into the relationship with your loving, heavenly Abba, Father. Now, there are times when I feel close to God. And there are times when I don't. And I think I'm not unique there. Usually, I feel uh, some distance from God, uh, especially, I don't mean usually, I'm saying this wrong. I feel distance from God usually when I sin. That usually brings the distance, right? I've broken relationship. I've uh, rebelled against my heavenly Father. And sometimes in that uh, uh, distance that I create, sometimes I begin to doubt, am I a a child of God. Does God really love me? But Paul says that we can also have, and this is our third, third point, the privilege of assurance. Assurance that we are children of God. Romans 8.16 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? It's a great claim. I mean, a lot of people say they're children of God. How do you know? How can you be sure it's true in your life? Paul says that the Spirit bears witness or testifies along with our spirits that we are His. That Greek word translated witness is, is martia, which, which we get our English word martyr. The, the word originally meant an, an authoritative witness who, who solved a difficult case 
and put the solution beyond doubt to be a, a witness. It became synonymous with giving your life in the, in the early church. Thus, a witness became martyr. The picture, though, Paul is painting here looks something like this. There's a trial going on, and the defendant is being accused of a crime. There seems to be some evidence for his guilt and some evidence for his innocence. Then suddenly, the defense uh, comes in with a new witness, one who can prove uh, to have been at the scene of the crime, one who was at the scene of the crime. The witness says, I was there. The defendant wasn't, wasn't there. He's innocent. This person bears witness with the defendant. He, he says the same thing and, and puts the verdict beyond doubt. Notice Paul says, our spirit is already testifying. The spirit bears witness with our spirit. This means we already, in our lives as Christians, we already have evidence that we are children of God. We know we trusted in Christ. I, I know, I do, I trust in Jesus Christ. We see our lives changing and growing. And this leads our spirit, our hearts, to have a, a measure of confidence that we are really His, that we are children of God. But Paul says that the Spirit can come alongside us, and in addition to all we see, to all we feel, the Spirit can bear witness to the fact that we are children of God. It it seems to refer to this direct testimony, the Spirit of God in our hearts speaking to us or giving us these feelings of truth. This probably is a sense of God's immediate presence and love that sometimes comes upon us. We don't always feel this. At least I don't. We don't always feel that presence. But, but it's been my experience, especially in the low times, in the times of doubt, in my, my times of weakness, that when I come to my senses, when I fall on my knees and I cry out, Abba, Father, I receive this supernatural assurance that I am a child of God, that God loves me. Despite my sin, despite my fear, despite my uh, former doubt, I think Paul is saying that God loves His children so much that when we doubt we are His children, He'll intervene and bring assurance in our hearts. In the Scripture, we have this picture of a son who who doubted, not biologically, but he doubted whether his father was his father anymore. Whether his father considered him a son anymore. That's the prodigal son, right? Right? And God is is like the father of the prodigal son who when he saw his son coming a long way off felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him assuring him you are my son. And and I don't you know the the parable there if if God is the father he knew all the what the son had been doing and the scripture says riotous living and just debauchery and you're still my son. We have assurance we are sons of God, children of God. And in verse 17, Paul points to our future privilege, the privilege of inheritance. So we've seen uh, our, all we have now, our security and our intimacy and our assurance, and now we're moving to the future, the privilege of inheritance. This is like the promise. If you remember from last week, we talked about how, how all Christians, male and female, are sons of God. And as sons, we are entitled to the the privileges, uh, the power of sonship. That's what we see in the first part of verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
I mean, if you have a if you're if you have Bible, if you're at one of the tables, well, there are a lot of people at the tables. We may have to put out more tables. Maybe one right here. No, just kidding. But uh, I mean, underline. I mean, that's an amazing verse right there. Amazing, even part of a verse. We'll go on uh, to talk about it. But that your heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. The point is, Paul calls all Christians heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Even though Christ is the only firstborn true Son of God, in a sense, we all, all believers, will receive a great inheritance. We're heirs. We'll all receive what Christ, the firstborn, receives. In in Romans 4.13, we talked about this when we were in Romans 4. Paul describes our inheritance this way. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that we should be heir of the world. That word world, if you remember, is the, is the cosmos. And it really implies everything. The universe. In 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 21, Paul says, we, are, we, we will receive all things. Abraham, the offspring that that would be the heir to the world, did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. In other words, if you share the faith of Abraham, then you're a fellow heir with him. And the inheritance, Paul said, is is the cosmos, the, the universe, all things. If you're an heir of God, then you will inherit what is God's, right? That's what an heir gets. I think I've been using this, but when my parents go, I get their stuff, or at least half of it, right? I'm their heir. Still, right? Dad? All right. So far, I haven't messed it up. And you see, God owns everything. Psalm 24, 1, David writes, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, the world and those who dwell therein. So if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then the heirs of the Lord will inherit the earth. And everything in it. Psalm 2.8, God says to His Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And what that means practically, what that will look like, I'm not sure. But it seems pretty amazing and big and awesome. As a child of God, your inheritance is the world, the, the nations, the earth, and everything in it, all things, the cosmos. But that isn't even the best part of our inheritance. That's just, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's the stuff part of it. And that's just a little part, I think. Think about what you've already received. Already. By grace, through faith, you've been declared righteous. You've been justified before God. You've been forgiven of your sins. Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been saved. You've, you've been promised and will receive eternal life. You've been given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God Himself dwells in you. The Spirit of God empowers you, as we looked at, to put to death the deeds of the body, to lead you out of sin and into righteousness. Right now, Christ is in you. His loving presence will never leave you or forsake you. Right now, in Christ, you've been given everything you need to experience the abundant, Spirit-filled life that He offers. And all of that is only a taste, a shadow, a reflection of what's to come. All of that and and more will be experienced in new ways when we come face to face with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When we're transformed completely 
to be like Christ. Can you imagine? I, I don't know. What's that going to We receive a, a new resurrection body. We become uh, uh, people who can no longer sin, no longer desire sin. Sin is no more. And I don't know what our, our fullness as sons will mean. I'm not sure what it means that we will receive all things. But I do know that the greatest thing we, we all will receive in eternity, for eternity, is the presence of God. And as David wrote in Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are ple- pleasures forevermore. Now we can experience that in part now. Fullness of joy and, and, and pleasures. But, but that forevermore part and that, that removing our sin and being fully in God's presence, that's what we have to look forward to as sons of God. Fullness of joy. Your joy will be complete. Nothing will come between you and joy. The joy of being in the, in the presence of God. And in that presence, you'll find pleasures forevermore. Again, I don't know what that's going to look like totally. To know exactly what the fullness of joy and, and pleasures forevermore will involve. But the fact that they're found in the presence of God means that they come from God. They flow from Him. Our greatest inheritance will be our eternal relationship with God the Father, with our Abba. God gives Himself as an inheritance to you, His children. Pretty amazing, right? But there's a provision to our inheritance. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided... We suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We are heirs, provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Him. Now, if that meant to get this inheritance, you got to suffer, then I would say, you know, get out the whips, line up, and let's start suffering because this is, it's worth it, right? People have determined that. But what does Paul really mean here? That word provided could also be translated since or if after all. It's not a command to suffer and thus prove yourself worthy of being an heir. We don't have to go look for suffering. Amen? It sort of comes though. We don't have to literally uh, beat our bodies. We don't have to, as some have done, whip ourselves to prove ourselves worthy of our inheritance. Paul is just say, stating a fact. The fact is that those who are children of God, those who are heirs of God, will suffer with Christ and therefore will be glorified with Christ. Put it this way. We've been given the privilege of being sons of God. Now we must live as sons of God. We must represent our Father. And when we do, when you represent your Father, you will suffer. Christ is the example. He was the perfect representation of the Father. And because of that, He suffered greatly at the hands of wicked men. And, and we are no different as Paul promised the Philippians, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Christians will suffer. Not simply in the pains of this world that all people face, but specifically because they are brothers and sisters of Christ. Christ faced rejection because of who He was and because He had come to expose sinfulness, 
He, he had come to warn of judgment and to offer salvation through Himself alone. Likewise, His family will suffer in the same ways as they live for Him, as they speak for Him, as they represent Him, as their ambassadors for Christ. I think sometimes we uh, don't suffer, and by we I mean me, because we choose not to represent Him. We choose not to act like His children. We choose to, you know... Pretend somebody else is our Father. Because when we step out in this world and let people know we're children of God, that we love God, that we love Jesus Christ above all else, suffering will come. People will reject you. People won't want to be around you. People will ridicule you. But we don't like that. And so we avoid representing Him. When we do, we avoid joy. We avoid getting to be like Him. In, in verse 29 of Romans 8, Paul writes, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. God works in us through our circumstances, through our suffering, so that we would be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That we might be the the firstborn among many brothers. Though we are adopted, God implants in us Christ's nature. As sons of God, we, we come to resemble the Son of God. We become more and more like the Son in our character and in our attitudes. And as we bear this family likeness of Christ, we will suffer like Christ. But one day, the suffering will cease. And the children of God will receive their inheritance. We will be glorified with Christ. Again, not totally sure what that, that's going to look like, what that means, but it has to be awesome, right? To be glorified with Christ. Know this, child of God, if you are a child of God, one day you will share in Christ's glory provided you suffer with Him. Again, it's not a condition, it's a, it's a fact. If you're a child of God, if you take on that and live that in this world, you will suffer, but you will one day be glorified in Christ. So today we've seen the privileges of being children of God. And, and as we come to the communion table this morning, I would call upon us to remember, uh, I hope we've referred to it enough, but we're going we're gonna to bring it home, remember the source of these privileges. We're not privileged Because of who we are, we're not privileged because of anything we've done. We are privileged only because of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. We have these privileges only because by God's grace, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, when you believed, when you trusted in Christ, the Bible says, it has this term, and we've talked about it a lot, you are in Christ. And when you're in Christ, the same thing that happens to Christ happens to you. Therefore, you are privileged with security in your relationship with God because the great love the Father has for the Son, He also has for those who are in Christ. To those who have been adopted as sons, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is secure. Therefore, in Christ, your relationship with God is secure. 
You're privileged with intimacy with the Father because the intimacy between God the Father and God the Son is now possible for all of God's children. God is Abba to Jesus. If you are in Christ, then God is Abba to you. And you're privileged with assurance that you are a child of God. Because when you trust in Christ, we receive the same Spirit. That same Spirit. Do you remember the picture of Jesus' baptism when He was baptism? When He was baptismed? Okay. I'm really tired right now. Uh, the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And, and that same Spirit that descended on Jesus at baptism, in Christ we have that same Spirit. And therefore, we receive that same assurance that we're children of God. And finally, you're privileged with an inheritance from God. Because you're fellow heirs with Christ. Christ is the first and natural Son of God. And He receives the great inheritance. And it's only because you're in Christ that you'll also share in that inheritance. And it seems to me, I mean, we didn't really study this. It's not just that uh, there's this inheritance and we divide it up between i mean maybe christ gets half and we split the other half that's not what the scripture implies we all get all of it i don't know how that works but that's what the scripture implies we share in it we get it all with christ and so all of these great privileges come to us because of christ because of what christ did that we might become children of god and in a very real way all Uh, On the cross, Jesus Christ purchased for you security and intimacy and assurance and an inheritance. And so as the worship team and the ushers come forward, let's turn our hearts fully to Christ. Let's remember and celebrate who Christ is and what He has done for us. As we prepare our hearts for communion, would you join me in prayer? Uh, This prayer of thanksgiving for Christ and all we receive because of Him. Father God, We are so grateful to be your children. We are so grateful to be your sons, to receive all the privileges of sonship. Lord, we're so grateful that we can be secure. We don't have to worry and be concerned. We can be secure in our relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus who provides that, that we can be intimate with you, that we can have assurance, and that we have a a great inheritance. Father, thank you for Jesus who went to the cross who died for our sins, that we might be adopted into your family. And Father, as we think of our sins, the things that, that, that cause us doubt, the things that cause us to, to be separate from you at times, Lord, I pray uh, now that, that we take a moment in this time. I, I ask that you would take a moment, a moment of silence to just go to God, to confess your sins, to know he is your loving heavenly Father and will receive you no matter what. But he asks you to come to him, to draw near to him, and to confess your sins. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I would, I would call us all to go to him in this moment of silence and, and confess our sins before him. Receive forgiveness.